We are continuing our series on Love Shared, about relationships, and we're in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning of verse 11. And um, last week, we talked about what we were, dead in, uh, dead in our sin, and then made alive in Christ. Previous weeks to that, we talked about our identity, and this week, we are talking about what we are a part of, the body of Christ, the church. And uh, I want to encourage you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Keep your Bibles open, and we're going to interact with God's Word as it has the power to transform us. As we do that, let's pray. God, you are good. Your power is clear in your Word. A power to change our lives. power to redeem us. power to move us. Transform us. We pray that you do that work in us today. We pray that you meet us where we are. If we're coming with burdens, coming with challenges, if we're coming needed, needing to be confronted in our sin and our disobedience, if we're coming with joy and life and abundance, meet us wherever we are through the power of your word through the work of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, move us to the place that you desire us to be. May we listen with ears to hear. And when we go, may we have the tongue to speak, the words of life that come through Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. From Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. About eight years ago, Kristen and I had the privilege of um, being gifted with a vacation. Uh, We had to pay for our own airfare, but there was a friend of ours who had a house 
on the Yucatan Peninsula in southeastern Mexico. Uh, Not far from Cancun, maybe about two and a half hours away from Cancun. So if you've ever been to Cancun, then you've been in the part of the world that we were visiting. But where we were visiting wasn't like Cancun, in that Cancun is really known as a very touristy spot. People go there regularly to vacation and enjoy the resorts and hotels and the water and the beach beach and all that other sort of stuff. Where we were was more local. It's called, actually, the Mexican Riviera. And the person that we actually were given the gift of their house from had retired from um, the U.S. and gone down to Mexico and purchased two homes, one in the city of Merida and one on the coast near a city called Progresso. So we were in this, all these incredible homes, beautiful homes on the uh, uh, Gulf of Mexico side of the Yucatan Peninsula. And it was a nice week, beautiful water, great home, uh, lots of just being away and fun stuff that Kristen and I could interact around. It was just about time that I was going to be going to seminary. And so we just had a lot of time to reflect on different things and sit by the water and talk. And it was, it, was, it was really a neat, neat week, one that we are very, very grateful for. But we noticed over the course of the week a particular challenge that arose. Because the area that we were staying in wasn't touristy, uh, it was not used to having tourists around. And so when we would go into the city, it was like... It didn't feel right after a couple days because we ended up feeling a little bit like we were marks. Does that make any sense to you? Someone who could be approached for um, a, a couple bucks or to buy this or to do that or go here or go there. And in some ways, it just became very uncomfortable for us to go into the, the city of Progresso um, very much. We did for a couple days. It became really uncomfortable because you just sort of felt like you were always being watched and always sort of singled out. Um, it just it didn't feel right. So I decided that I was going to do my best to blend in. Now, you may not know this, but I am a uh, white Canadian guy. And I wasn't in a place where there were a whole lot of white Canadian guys. So I decided that I was going to do my best to try to fit in. I grew out scruffy beard. And it doesn't take long because I'm a hairy guy. I think in about two days I had what James had this morning. And um, it doesn't take me long to get uh, exposed to the sun and rather tan. So over the course of a couple of days, I, my, my, I was very dark. And I wore the clothes of the locals as much as I was able to try to blend in and not feel like a mark. And oftentimes, we, since we didn't want to go into Progresso very much, just because we had that feeling, we, I ended up going and I would shop for groceries and I would do all the things that we would do in order to be able to have the food and the stuff that we needed at the house that we were staying at. And like I say, it ended up to be a very great week. We met some incredible people over the course of the week. It was a neat time, very memorable. But there was one distinct problem when I went into Progresso to try to get all the groceries and all the things we needed. I don't speak Spanish. That became a little bit of an issue. Obviously, I still stood out. Difficult to blend in when you don't have 
all the same distinctives of the people that you're seeking to blend in with. In our text, there's a whole lot of that going on, except it's not about tourism and vacation. It's about the church, which becomes even more challenging. You have a group of people within the Ephesian church that Paul is writing to who have some distinctives, one from the other, and they're trying to figure out how to take the distinctives that they each represent and meld them into this new thing, the church, how to blend. And it's taking some time and some work, some effort and some energy, and it's not, it's not easy. On the one side, you have the Jews. Jews who come uh, out of the covenant of the Old Testament, Abraham. The covenant of circumcision. The covenant, uh, or the, the covenant of dietary laws. The covenant of cleanliness laws. The covenant of festival observance. All the things that were distinctive about, the, uh, about Judaism, these people were still bringing into the faith called the way, which is the early name for Christianity. On the other side, you had Gentiles. And Gentiles, really that word simply means anyone who is not Jewish. So it could be really anyone. Greeks or um, whatever sort of other cultural groups were all described as Gentiles. So these people would bring different religious observance, different dietary understandings, different traditions into the way. So you had this one group, the Jews, one group, the Gentiles. Now they're supposed to live together in harmony and everything's supposed to go good. You can imagine that there's some challenges there. You can imagine the Jews talking about something like circumcision. When a, a baby is born, a baby boy is born into a Jewish home, they're part of the church. And they say to one of the Gentiles, why don't you come over to, your ho- to our house for our bris? Bris is the ritual circumcision of a boy when they're young. And the Gentile might ask, wait, hold on. Is that something that is prescriptive? Is that something that all Christians should do? Because you're Jewish and you're saying that this is something that you do. Is this something that we need to do? Or maybe should the Jew, if there's a potluck, imagine a potluck that they're having at this church. I don't know if they had potlucks. We're believing that they did. They had potluck and they show up to share food together. And the Gentile believer brings a plate of bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches. Now, if you're a Jew, you can't eat pork, even though bacon is a magical, beautiful thing that glorifies God in so many different ways. You can't eat that. Are you allowed to? I mean, there's, there's an old covenant, and there's a new covenant. Is the new covenant allow you to be unified with these people by sharing the same food? Now, of course, we know that there are Scripture that speaks to these things. We know about Peter and the, uh, the, the food descending that opened up food to being clean. We know that there is the change, especially uh, in the, uh, the first synod about circumcision and some of those sorts of things. Some of the discussion changes stuff. But you've got to remember, this is the early church, and some of those teachings are going to take some time to get out. 
So these people have to figure out how do we work these things out? How do we blend who we are as a Jew? How do we blend who we are as a Gentile into this new thing and make it work? And it takes some time. And you can imagine that there might be some conflict. Imagine you get a traditional Jewish father. And his son is born and he says, Come to my house for a circumcision. And as a part of that conversation, he says, I circumcise my child because I want to be faithful to God. You want to be faithful to God. Then you will have your child circumcised too. But you have a Gentile believer who says, hold on, that's old covenant. I'm new covenant in Christ. I don't think so. I don't want to put my kid through that pain. And frankly, I think that you're going back instead of going forward in Christ. You can imagine that that might, conflict grows. And all of a sudden you got divisions. In fact, that's exactly what happened in a lot of these churches. You had those sorts of discussions. In fact, if you look at a a lot of the Pauline letters, there's a lot of those sorts of things that Paul seems to be addressing in the life of the church. Look at the book of Acts. Paul and the different missionaries go into different communities. There's lots of these conflicts going on that have to be addressed because they're trying to figure out what is it that is made new in Christ? What is it that is different? What is it that's changed? And what about who we are distinctively before we lived in Christ as we blend it? What do we give up? And what do we hold on to? Basically, how do we get along? How do we become this unified body? And frankly, that can be really, really hard. Now, we've never had conflict here at the river over things like that. And that's a big fat lie because we certainly have had. And we continue to have a lot of our own type of blending going on. Oh, certainly may not be about something like circumcision, but it can certainly be about other things. It can be about different stuff that we get really excited and really fired up about theologically. Covenant baptism. And then if there's somebody who comes in and they say, I don't believe in covenant baptism, and how we interact around some of those differences, I think can either reflect a level of unity or a level of disunity. And I'll be the one to tell you that there are people within this church who do not profess covenant baptism as something that they believe in. And truly, we as leaders want to make room for them, but we will ask on something like that, that you may walk that through and we'll continue to have dialogue together, but we do ask that you do not propagate and encourage or you know, say to others that this is not only what you believe, but what they should believe. We don't want to get into those sorts of divisions because it's hard enough already. There's a lot of distinctives that already mark some of the challenges of where we come from and who we are. And I've named them before, and we've talked about them before, but it's always good to be reminded of them again. Some of our dividing lines are are things like race. The the phrase that comes, and I think it's, uh, it's very much a true one, one of the most segregated times in uh, the life of Western culture is Sunday morning during worship. Because there's African-American churches, 
There's African or there's uh, Caribbean American churches. There's Hispanic churches. There's Colombian Hispanic churches and Mexican Hispanic churches. And there's Asian churches. In fact, we even have that here. We have it here at the river. Right now, down there, about 75 feet away from Denshenko, there's a group of people who are gathered to worship. They're not a part of us. We have a relationship with them, but they're not a part of this congregation called Sheepfold. It's a Korean church. And they speak only Korean. But there is that level of division that comes as a result of that. We at least need to recognize that and recognize the things that bring us together. We have the divisions of economic status. We have people who um, do not know where their meal is going to come from tomorrow or where they're going to sleep tonight. And we have people here who have 10, 15, 20 rental properties. Some of those cause divisions and distinctions. And it's challenging sometimes to blend not only the ends of the spectrum, but everyone in between. And we have things like gender. Gender can be one of those things that traditionally has divided the church. And how you view gender. And how you, how you um, believe genders should act and interact and all that other sort of stuff. And there's all these all these different ideas out there, and if somebody doesn't adhere to your ideas, how do you interact with them? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you agree to disagree? Age is another. I've spoken many times about the senior saints that we have among us, and God be praised, their faithfulness is, is wonderful, and we experience many blessings through them. But as we saw a couple weeks ago when we blessed our children before they went upstairs after communion, we just have a whole mess of kids here. A bunch of them. And the truth is that those kids express and experience faith in some significantly different ways than our senior saints. And every generation in between has their own distinctives. How do we accept? How do we make room? How do we affirm the faith of a senior saint and yet at the same time say that we need to be moving towards the expressions of faith of the younger, youngest generation? It can be hard sometimes because there's differences that come to light that make us uncomfortable and bring up some challenge. And a worship style. There are people who are really glad that Bill Fernandez is back to bang those drums. And there are others who really, really wish that we were playing that organ a whole lot more. And everything in between, not only in the instruments that we play and how we play them. And frankly, here's a place where I'm going to address something very particular, something that to me has been incredibly lamentable. We have different people who contribute to worship in different ways. And not long ago, when an individual was a part of worship here on Sunday morning, got up to be a part of worship and what we were doing, one of the leaders of our church heard grumbling around them that that person was involved. Grumbling because this was not what they wanted and how, what they liked. And I won't tolerate that. There's no room for that. I think that's sinful. It's lamentable at the very least. Because when people 
use the gifts that God has given them. When people with the right heart desire to lead or be a part of things or use whatever sorts of gifts that they have, whether it be in teaching or preaching or piano or guitar or drums or organ or whatever it is, dance, when they are doing so in obedience to Christ, then we make room for that. And if you can't make room for things that make you feel uncomfortable, I ask you to consider very sincerely the work that I believe we should be doing together before the Lord. Those are... Those are divisions that hurt. Of course, there's others, marital status. If you're not married, do you feel a part of things? And I have heard oftentimes from single 20, 30, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds even, it's hard sometimes to feel like you're a part of things if you don't have children who are a part of children ministry. Or if you don't have a husband or a wife that you are a part of couples ministry. There's not ministries that much for single adults who don't have the same sort of relationships as those who are married. How do we address that division and make room? And these are just a few. There's others. Lots of them. And sometimes they do become big divisions. And I'll tell you this, brothers and sisters, that there are churches, if you were to enter them this morning, you would feel the toxicity of divisions within them. And God be praised, I don't feel toxicity, but I still feel challenges that we can address as a Christian community, where we have to say we're not doing this the way that the Spirit is leading us to, the way that God intends us to do it. We're not good at this all the time. And we have to pose the question, where are we not good at it? See, because God will address divisions through His Spirit. In fact, he did so. And our text highlights that. Some of you may know something about temple architecture, the temple in Jerusalem at the time of Christ. If you know anything about temple architecture, this will make sense to you. And if you don't, I'm going to walk you through it. There were, temple was a series of really circles or courts, they called them. They weren't circles, but they were walled off sections that... As you got closer and closer to the center, technically you were closer and closer to God. The first section was the Holy of Holies. And it was separated from everyone by a veil. The veil that was torn in two at the death of Jesus. In a sense, opening up the way of all people to God. So there's one division that right there, Christ himself broke down. But it's not just that. Because there was other courts. There was the, the priestly, you know, the priestly court, priests only in there, then the temple or the, the court of the men, they could be in that area, then the court of the women. And then there was the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles really was the, the um, shopping mall of the temple. This is the place where Jesus got ticked off 
turned over tables, got frustrated because there were money changers and lenders and all those other sorts of things. And there was a significantly three cubits. I'm not even sure what a cubit is, but it's high enough you're not jumping over it. It's tall enough you couldn't get over it. You couldn't even see over it. There was a three cubits high wall between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women. So Gentiles couldn't cross. And on that court, the wall of the court, there was a stone inscribed saying, court of the Gentiles, only Jews may go beyond this point. Now, you go to Jerusalem to try to find that rock, you won't find it in Jerusalem. Because the temple was destroyed. And that rock is actually in Greece now. You can go and you can see it and take a picture of it. A friend of mine did when he was in seminary. Showed me the picture. Because that division line between Gentiles... And Christ is gone. That rock made a lot of difference to Gentiles. And by the way, all of us are Gentiles. Now that rock is gone. It's on display in a museum. It doesn't have power. You and I can all go together into the presence of the living God. There's no more division. There's no more wall. And that's when this text talks of the wall of division. That's exactly what it's talking. It's referring to that temple wall. Now that wall is down. And now we together have access to God. And as we see in the text that we truly do have access to God together through Christ, what that togetherness looks like is pretty distinctive. These words are there throughout the text. In verse 14, we have oneness. In verse 15, we have peace. In verse 16, we have the word reconciled or a form of it. And all of these words engender this element of relationship. The body of Christ is one body. The body of Christ is at peace with one another. The body of Christ is reconciled one to another. It it challenges the Ephesian Christians to think about these conflicts that they were having over circumcision and dietary laws and wonder how are we within these challenges that we're facing, this dialogue that we're having, the arguments or the divisions that are going on. How are we reflecting oneness? How are we reflecting peace? How are we reflecting reconciliation? And if we're not, what do we have to confess? What do we have to repent of? What needs to change? What does the Spirit need to do to come into us and move us towards oneness, peace, reconciliation? And then we see in verse 19 this great word. And the word is household. Let me read verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people, and members of God's household. If anyone is in Christ, he is a part of God's household. And a healthy household that is founded in a shared identity in Christ fosters relationship, fosters understanding, fosters accountability, and fosters encouragement. Now why would... Paul used the word household. Well, think about your household. 
Do you have a choice if someone is your child or someone is your parent to separate yourself from them? Oh, you may, and people do choose to do that. I want nothing more to do with the rest of my household. But do you ever stop becoming a son or a daughter or a parent to that child? You never do. You may not claim it, you may not engage in it, you may not involve yourself in it, but before the eyes of the world, the law, and ultimately of God, you will always be a parent or a child of that person, a brother or a sister of that person. There is no denying that you are a part in some way of that household. In the household of faith, there is no denying the relationship, regardless of the distinctives and the differences. Every corner of this room, every person who came to first service, every person who's not here this morning but is, is, is a part of the river in some way, shape, or form, is a part of the household of God. And there's no denying that relationship. They are a brother and sister in Christ here at the river. But even beyond that, the church is down the street, Pathway Baptist. The church across the street, that church of Christ, up the street a little bit, Trinity, that there is no denying those relationships, that we are part of the same household. So for us to engage in the sort of work led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit of understanding, encouragement, oneness, peace, reconciliation, recognizing, yes, there's differences. Yes, you're wacky. I'm not. Yes, I'm wacky. You're not. That those distinctives actually shape and form the kingdom of God and make it more beautiful than what it is without the two, the three, the thousands, the millions of us in it together. Christ is truly saying in this text, through my work, through what I have done, yes, you have relationship with God. The wall of hostility has been torn down and the veil has been torn in two. You may enter into the Holy of Holies, the presence of the living God. But... I've also given you each other. I've given you every person who is a part of the body of Christ. Relish that. Be united in that. Be one, be at peace, be reconciled. Be all these words that this text comes to. And that is a challenge. Because we don't always get along. You don't always admit how right I am. And you say the exact same statement for yourself. That's where we come to oftentimes. We like what we like because we like it. We think what we think because we think it. We know what we know because we know it. And you should be just like me. We often, we may not even say that. We may not even necessarily think that we're that way, but I guarantee in some way, shape, or form, that's going to show itself somewhere. And if you think you've got it perfect and you are married, ask your spouse how you're doing and get the honest answer. Because this is always a challenge. And as we, as the river, as we as believers in Christ recognize the church more and more as God's household built on Christ, we are more able to look past the minor divisions and toward the healthy, loving relationships that God has for us in the body of Christ. 
you need what I got. I got you, or you, I need what you got. And that, that goes true for all of us. And, and there's a beauty when we get what everyone else has to offer. When, when, when someone else is obedient to the Spirit and does something in a uniquely different, challenging way than what I do it, they enrich the kingdom of God. If what they're doing is in obedience to Christ, they will enrich the body. Guarantee you, because that's the way the Spirit works and moves in His people. And frankly, I think about the kingdom of God. We need the worship differences because, frankly, the organ's great sometimes, but there are times that, that we need the rest of this, and we need the djembe, and we need the bagpipes, and we need the banjo, and we need the, 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 the acapella music, and we need, we need all that is in the kingdom of God. Bill Beerling is the champion of all of creation, is a space and a place that proclaims the glory of God. And he's right. And if all of creation is a space that proclaims the glory of God, then we should be a part in some ways as the body of Christ in all of creation. It's another space, another place for God's love to be proclaimed, God's glory to grow. For us to see Christ at work continuing to redeem, to save, to change, to transform his world. When Jesus says in Luke 9 verse 23, If anyone will come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their crosses daily, and follow me. This is part of what he's talking about. For us and our selfishness to die. That we want what we want because we want it. For us to deny that and say, how do we serve each other? How do I learn more from who Christ is making you? How do I see the kingdom at work more fully in a, in a place that I, I don't know and understand, but you do and you can help guide me and teach me, help me grow in that. We have much to learn. And as the Spirit leads and moves, we can as we deny ourselves. And in Christ, we are empowered by the Spirit to move towards this unity in the body, to love each other, and to glorify God together. And by the way, that's a really powerful testimony to the world. Because there are a lot of folks outside of the church who look at the church and say, I want nothing to do with it because the church fights. The church can sometimes hate each other. The church is oftentimes a toxic environment where people just don't get along. Everyone's selfish, everyone's a hypocrite, and we want nothing to do with it. As the church grows in its unity, its oneness, and its reconciliation, that argument that the world can face against us is gone doesn't hold it's not real anymore because that reconciliation that peace and that oneness are there i started in ministry in the mid late 90s and at that time i went to a number of different church growth and leadership conferences and as you go to these church growth and leadership conferences you're bound to hear some neat little catchphrases of the day for a while, it was something like paradigm shift. I don't know if everyone 
or anyone ever heard something like that. Paradigm shift was a nice little way to say things needed to change, which, why couldn't we just say things needed to change? But one of the catchphrases at the time of my beginning in ministry was that a church needs to know its DNA. And the idea behind this was saying to a church, a church needs to know really what knits it together, how it's, how it's sort of been raised up and grown and, and what sort of, of things have come of, from its beginning to this point and, and, and really what's, what's sort of the makeup of this church? What's the DNA of this church? Because DNA really doesn't change. And if you ask anyone who's a <clears throat> biochemist or a physiologist or any of those ists, they're going to tell you DNA doesn't change. Your DNA is your DNA. My DNA is my DNA. It's not going to change me. It doesn't work that way. And the idea was church's DNA couldn't change. And there was a part of me that really liked that idea because then it said, learn more about the DNA of your church so that the work that you would do would help your church grow in a way that was natural and that fit it and that helped it express who it really was. And I really like that idea because it means that you're not banging your head against the wall doing something that's not going to work within your community. But there's a part of me that thinks it's a load of bunk. Because if a church's DNA couldn't change, then this would be two congregations if they still existed, one on Church Street, one on Highland Avenue. And they would still be having some of the discussions that they would have and disagreements that they have. And if this was a church that couldn't change, then we would look a certain way and be a certain group. And I don't think Greg Langley would be here because Greg Langley is different than I am and I'm different than many of you are. And all the people in this room's names would either begin in V or end in A. Vanden something or Sma. But that's not the case. We have Mr. Shinsky back there. God be praised for that. We have Mr. Jones over here. God be praised for that. We have the McGills over here. God be praised for that. And they represent more diversity in who we are. Because I don't believe a church's DNA can be, can't be changed. Because I don't believe that a church has a DNA. I think the church has the Spirit. And the Spirit does change the Spirit, but it's challenging because it means that we as a church have to address some of the challenges of a church's DNA. I'll give you two examples. This church has had an influx over the last four to five years of people of a lower economic standing in the eyes of culture than we've traditionally had in the past. Is that true? Is that fair? And that brings with it some challenges as we figure out how to be united together. Brings challenges. Let me highlight one. I'm just going to name it. You know me. I just, I just say stuff. That it becomes a challenge that there's a group of people who cannot sit through an entire service because they deal with a specific issue that they have to get up once, perhaps twice over the course of the service, go to the end of the building and have a cigarette. 
Now, that's a challenge. It's, believe me, it's a challenge for me because I'm sitting up here and I see them walk, go and I see them come back and, I see them, and it can be distracting. And there's times when I can even be frustrated and think, doggone it. Stick in here. Put chains on the doors. We're going to lock everybody in and I'm going to be the one to let you go. Then I think that every brother and sister who walks out of here to go get a cigarette is one that I'm called to be one with and at peace with and reconciled to and that they bring something to this place that I don't have, that I need and I bless them, Lord willing, with something that they don't have and they need and God can be glorified as we figure out how to do this together. And yes, it is hard and yes, it is challenging and it will continue to provide us challenges but you know what? God be praised. It's what the Spirit is transforming us into. At least a portion of it. A portion of what we do, I should say. Second one. This one's more challenging in some different ways. Because it has, I think, some deeper implications. I've been having conversations over the last several months with Nick Intout, our youth pastor, as well as some others, just about the next generation. Next generation, we'll call junior high, right now junior high through, let's say, 25, 26, 27 years old. So you're in that age group, I'm talking to you right now, or talking about you. So just hang in there, I'll talk about you for a while. It's been enlightening to me and challenging at the same time in our conversations with Nick that Nick has come back and said, I have been challenged and surprised by the next generation. Not because just they're gifted and they're abil- they, they have tremendous abilities and they look at the kingdom of God in some really great ways. He said, that's, that's, that's been neat. But one thing that has provided the challenge is that they don't trust. They don't trust the church. They don't trust anyone who's older than them in the church, that they have something that they're willing to receive from them. That there's something worthwhile, nor that it will be offered in good faith, not in order to change them as a younger generation into what the expectations of the older generation is. And so there is a hesitancy oftentimes to interact in what we do here. There is a hesitancy to participate. There is a hesitancy in, to engage, wondering if there is even room. And the question that we often need to pose is, have we created room? Are we working towards making room for a next generation? Because without the next generation engaged in the life of the church, where do we stand? What challenges do we face? So having that dialogue in a way that is something that brings unity and peace and reconciliation that says to Zach, Zach, you got something that I need and you alone offer it. And if I don't as a leader within this church listen to you and care about you and love you and make a space for you to contribute what we do here, then I'm not taking this passage of unity seriously. And if you don't recognize that I have something to offer you, love, encouragement, and support, and you're willing to listen and willing to engage, and we can have relationship. 
then we as a church are not moving towards the oneness, the peace, and the reconciliation that God calls us toward. And that is true of Savannah, and it's true of Angel Perino, and it's true of Cameron Elgersma. It's true of every single one of our young people, just as it is true for all. So for us to move forward in the kingdom of God, expecting the Spirit to move, transforming us, empowering us to see the gifts of God in others and to welcome and make room and space to deny ourselves so that another may express the gifts that God has given them in obedience. If we do that work, the kingdom of God will grow in us. Christ will be glorified. And the Spirit will move more and more to grow His kingdom. To that end, would you pray with me? God, we praise You for Your Spirit that does work towards unity and oneness, peace, reconciliation. We pray, O oh God, that You continue that work in us. We pray, O oh God, that You continue to move us towards unity and peace. We ask, Father, that you break us of our stuff. That we might, through your Spirit's work, deny ourselves and follow you. Take up our cross daily and be willing to serve others. Be in relationships, Lord, that reflect you breaking down walls, you bleeding, you dying so that those walls are down. That we are willing, out of gratitude, to move towards those relationships, as difficult as they may be, as many challenges as might arise, as much as we might need to give up ourselves, if we do that in obedience to your Spirit, you will be glorified, move in us, and make us more fully into the people that you call us to be. Lord, empower us to that end in Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.